Hey, this is Mason. Welcome back to another edition of Anime Attic, the show where we go into your attic and blow the dust off of old and sometimes forgotten anime. We're going in a little slightly different direction. Today we're going to talk about the live action adaptation of Ghost in the Shell starring Scarlett Johansson. We touched on this earlier in episode 6 and again in episode 6A where we had a rather fierce debate. But now we've been waiting for months and months and months for the live action to come out. It's finally come out and with me to talk about it is... Hi, I'm Luke Chu. I am a Los Angeles-based artist and... And anime fan. So Luke Chu, internationally acclaimed artist. Probably one of the most famous people I've ever had on the show. Thank oh. you so much for coming in. I'm so pumped to have you. Uh, I'm honored to be here and to talk about a subject outside of my normal artsy-fartsy. Bears in trapped in uh, self-mutilation. In, exactly. Exactly. If anyone gets a chance, you should definitely check out Luke Chu's stuff. It's pretty amazing and mind-blowing. Your work is unbelievable, oh. I, I have to say. Thank you. Well, you can see my work at my Instagram and all, all social media attached to the Luke Chu name, spelled L-U-K-E-C-H-U-E-H, but let's not right, we'll, dawdle we'll, on this stuff, and let's talk about Ghost in the let's Shell. Let's get into it, man. Yeah. Everybody's been waiting. I've been waiting. The audience has been waiting. Mm-hmm. Luke... I assume you've seen the 1995 Mamoru Oshii film of the same name that this is loosely based on. I yes. am very well versed in the anime. I've read the Masamune Shiro mangas. Nice. Um, I was a huge Appleseed fan before. Appleseed's they, great. Yeah. We're definitely going to do an Appleseed episode because it's dope. Brayus and yes. all that stuff. But we're going to focus. We're focusing. Yes. So let's just dive right in, man. What did you think of it? What did you think overall of Ghost in the Shell starring Scarlett Johansson? You know, Scarlett Johansson, I'll just say it. Okay, there's a lot of issues about her ethnicity. Yes, um, a lot. No. We had a massive debate about it. I've had people try and use this argument that because she's a cyborg, she can get away with being Caucasian. Right. But, you know, the thing is, is that we're talking about Japan here mm-hmm. and we're talking about universality is subject to the, to, you know, the different groups, the different ethnic groups. And right. if you look at any Japanese cyborg, type it in Google and you <laughs> look in cyborg. and type and type in Japanese cyborg, you're not going to see a Caucasian person. You're <laughs> going to see a person that looks vaguely Asian. Sure. And that's because Japan is an Asian country. Right. And they consider universal Asian looking. But let's ignore that just for well, a we'll second. We'll come back to that. that yeah. Just for the audience who, you know. if they've been living under a rock, in general, what's okay, the premise so. of the film? Okay, so basically the premise is, well, the film goes into territory that the manga and the anime doesn't go right to. which is one of the things i sort of liked about it because they tried very hard to bring their own twist to it but then again i really hated it because what i felt they ended up doing and i blame this on a weak script is they dumbed it down for the audience to such a level that i felt idiotic right well basically they took what would have been a normal street rat you know <laughs> and put her ghost her, her brain, brain you know yeah. like, hey, her brain yeah. into the body of a cyborg killing machine yes and I guess they trained them in the matrix which is the reason why she now knows kung fu <laughs> in what little time it took to get her from street rat 
to right. you know it was a, killing machine. I believe it was a year yeah. in the film. So basically, it opens up on an unidentified Asian female being carted into a medical facility with doctors in red gowns, yeah. and then we see kind of a live action, loose adaptation of the now iconic mm-hmm. opening of Mamoru Oshii's Ghost in the Shell. I will say this: the props and the visuals in the live action film are stunning. Yeah, I, I think they're out of this world. If they, you are in Los Angeles and you have an opportunity to see the Arclight movie at Hollywood, Arclight, yeah. they actually have some of those geishas on display and they are stunning. I actually... Yeah. They're art. I photographed them. I posted them on my Instagram feed, which is usually just my own artwork. I had to share it because I thought it was, oh, it was an genius. amazing opportunity to experience those in person. And yeah, the movie was beautiful. So they do a loose adaptation of the iconic opening, which on one hand I was, okay, they're making it their own. It's not as good in my opinion, of course, but of course when you're dealing with the physical limitations of practical reality versus anything you can do in animation, that's bound to come into conflict somewhere. Mm -hmm. And then they twisted the plot a little bit so that this girl had her brain put into a cyborg body and you don't know why and and you don't know the thing versus the ghost in the shell manga and the anime where this isn't an isolated incident this is something that they did decades ago right it's not really talked about but in the manga and the anime the main character who is later known as the major is her name is mokoto kusanagi And the understanding is that I don't know what happened to her parents because I haven't read the manga, which is my fault. But apparently... You don't even really go into it in the manga. It's just something happened. There was an accident of some sort. Her parents are eliminated. And the only thing that they were able to save was her brain. And they put it into a full cyborg body, but as a child. And she grows up in this body until she's placed into an adult form. And during that time, she's drafted by the uh, the secret government organization, Section Nine. 9, and she undergoes incredible combat training and all that stuff. Right. Well, Section uh, 9 is kind of like a black ops kind of organization. Yeah, it's NSA. Mm. It's actually officially counter-cyber terrorism, which, oh, okay. which in this world, in the future, because everyone's so cybernetically enhanced, they can get hacked by hackers. It's a very real and very powerful threat especially when you go on an international level because the hackers can typically, you know, be in other countries and and hack other people. You know, one of the things that I kind of wish they touched on was the rest of the world. One of the arguments that people make as to why, was it Makoto? Motoko? Mokoto. Mokoto, sorry. You're fired, get out. (laughs) (laughs) The Mokoto character is Caucasian, is that most of the outside world had been destroyed in World War Three or Four. Oh. You know, and... That did not come across to me at all. You know, yeah, and basically... (laughs) This is in the live action movie. In the general story of Ghost in the Shell, from what I understand, and that that. war between Russia and and America, I guess, kind of happens, and most of the world is kind of a mess, Mm -hmm. and the reason why Japan is supposedly, you know, the superpower is because they were able to come up with technology for radiation scrubbing. Um, oh, cool. You know, and so a lot of people moved into... Nihama. You know, survived with Japan. Right. Anyways, if you're familiar with the anime, the movie goes into areas that I thought were both interesting and unsettling, I guess. Like Bato's eyes. Sure. When they first introduced Bato... In the anime, he's already had these weird plugs Mm -hmm. for eyes, but when you see him in the movie, he has normalized, and then an accident happens, and it's... 
fake eyes. Yeah, and, I'll just say right now, spoilers. We're just going to openly talk about spoilers. Yeah, sorry. <laughs> no, pretty much everybody I know who wants to see it at this point has seen it. Mm. So we're preaching to the choir, I'm pretty sure. One thing I will say about the live action film is the acting's pretty good, with the exception of Scarlett Johansson, yes. who I think kind of struggled with the character. And I'm not sure if it was her or the director, but the acting's pretty good. And in particular, Pilu Azbak who played Bato. Yeah, I thought he did good. He's not Japanese, but he's what I he is. I never felt that Bato was a Japanese character. Yeah. Uh, you know. I thought he was just kind of his own thing. And yeah. I think what they were trying to do, both in the anime and in the film, is show that as a result of what's been going on, which I, I now have learned is World War III, there's a real kind of a melting pot in mm-hmm. Japan now, so that you have a lot of different characters of different races and nationalities all kind of mixed. Right. Personal shout out for me to Danusia Samal, who played Ladria, who is one of the members of Section 9. She was kind of the New Zealand female operative who handed them guns and stuff through the windows and stuff. She was very much a supporting character, but I liked her. But she's not actually in the anime at all. Yeah. You know, what was interesting was they did touch uh, a little bit on Mokoto's lesbianism. Little bit. Yes. Very little bit. One of the things that was interesting that they changed was in the anime, Mokoto is bisexual because she's... Oh, is she bisexual? She's bisexual. If you go into the Arise series, the Arise OAVs... I have not seen those yet. I recommend it if you get a chance. Obviously, in the TV series and in the movie a little bit, mostly in the TV series, it's revealed that she's having this rather intense toward affair with her female doctor. Right. And then if you go into the Arise turns out that she fell in love with a male terrorist and they hooked up in brain space basically because mm. you can't really do much with the cyborg body but you can go into virtual reality where it's all the, the brain and, and then you can you can do whatever you want uh. and I think that kind of underlines her whole character where her body's beautiful but she doesn't care about it because the body is just a machine to her but it's all about the ghost the spirit and so that makes sense to me that she would value people's intellect and personality over their physical form especially in this world yes so she's bisexual hmm. and you're right they touch a little bit on it because true to the anime Bato kind of has a little thing for her yes. I, I would say they downplayed it mm-hmm. in the live action film which was unfortunate but I think they're aiming for a sequel um, yeah, Obviously. Yeah. (laughs) But one of the things that I did think was good was at one point, which was not in the anime, but they put it in the live action film, and I enjoyed this addition. She goes and meets a prostitute, I guess. Right. A female prostitute, and takes her into this... A love hotel, I guess. Yeah, some sort of hotel. They don't do anything, because it's a PG-13 film, but she kind of caresses her face, and she's trying to figure out what does that feel like, because her body's a machine now, and she can't really feel anymore the way that she used to. I think they also set it up so that... The prostitute was actually prating as a cyborg. Oh. Well, she definitely had had some sort of bizarre thing on her face, and she wanted to ask her to take it off. Right. Asked her if she was human. Right. Are you You human? Yeah, that was the big thing. I know they get into it in Ghost in the Shell, the manga. Cyborgs are fetishized. Are they? Yeah. Oh, Uh, I didn't know that. You know by, I guess, non-cyborgs because human beings will turn anything into a fetish. Right. Okay, so we're going to flip the explicit switch on this one. I was reading about the first ever robot blowjob bars that are now appearing in Singapore. They're looking, I'm going they're to look- Singapore in <laughs> September. Hey, Hooray. I mean, you can check it out, but apparently they're actually designing sex robots now. This is a real thing. But they, we've been designing those, you know, for a long time now. Right, but this is a little more... I always thought those weird devices that you strapped over your junk was 
was pretty explicit on its sure. own. That, no, that's fair. That's fair. But I'm saying that now they actually look human. They're not just disembodied parts, I guess, oh, or whatever. So it's, you okay. know, we're, we're, we're going to where everyone has envisioned oh. for hundreds of years. Oh, I, I'm, I'm afraid to go down that Singapore tunnel because I could just talk for a long time that's about okay. that well, So let's go back we're to We're going to go back. <laughs> the audience is predominantly under 18, so <laughs> we're, we're good. So I did enjoy their loose touch on that for the anime fans. That was really cool. One of the things that I actually didn't like was, so in the original 1995 anime film, the whole thing is kind of Mokoto trying to figure out where she ends and the machine begins. Right. And, and you get in, in, it's the whole concept. Her spirit, uh, her brain is in this robotic shell. So what does it mean to be human? Exactly. And so she's this whole thing of, am I real? Is what I remember real? Because your memories can be overwritten. The memories are treated like data at this point. And she kind of tries to figure it out. And they do this by showing her interacting in society and just kind of like wandering around. And of course, it's Momoro Oshi, so it's all beautiful and everything and very thought-provoking. They really eliminated most of that from the live-action film, which I really regretted. You know, I thought it was not as cool or handled as well. Well, well they tried to make it a straight-up action film. Well, there were a couple things they brought in from the anime that just mm-hmm. did not fit at all in the live-action. The Garbage Men, mm-hmm. Um, mm-hmm. who, to illustrate, you know, this idea of memories being fake, in right. the manga, they had a Garbage Men character who was working as a slave for the, the main AI. antagonist, yeah. the AI. The villain. And basically... That antagonist had inserted memories, kind of playing with him into believing that he had a family, he had, he had a, a child, and a, a child, child. Yeah. and you know. Meanwhile, as he was working, he was planting things at his stops on his route as a garbage man. And then Mokoto has to confront him, take him on, apprehend him, and whatnot. And they brought that into the movie, but it was just so. It was just fan service. It, it didn't really serve the right. the overall narrative. And one of the most amazing scenes from the anime was these shots of the slums mm-hmm. and then looking up and this larger than God airplanes, you know, right. sweeping over the city. They tried recreating that as well for the live action. And okay, you know, got it, a slum. That's great. But then that plane just looked like a ravaged bird, you know, <laughs> like you know, right. kind of driven drifting over the city and I was just like you know you could have done so much more there you could have made that plane just to show hey you know at this point we can create planes the size of small towns to fly over Over fly above us and they just didn't do good with that it was so disappointing you know what the one thing that I personally loved about this series and and I mentioned it in a social media blast right after I saw it was Mm -hmm. Beat Takeshi who plays Aramaki sure let's talk about him Aramaki Maki is the leader of Section 9. Right. And he's the commander in chief who kind of oversees Mokoto, the major, and Bato and her agents. Yeah. And he's famous. He's for... a big movie star and comedian in Japan. And, oh, um... B. Takashi. Yes. Uh, yeah, Aramaki is famous for his character design of oh, having sorry. this giant white hair on either side of his yeah. bald head, and it's very iconic. Yes. And they tried to do that with B. Takashi by giving him kind of a square yeah. white hair, they which I dug. Mm-hmm. It was cool. But you know what I loved about Beat Takashi 
was. Well, he's amazing in general. But he was unforgivingly Japanese. <laughs> That's right. Yeah, definitely. You know, you, the entire time I was kind of waiting for him to slip and say a line in English. Mm, yeah. Nope. Yeah, that is one thing that I did really dig was he only spoke in Japanese and what they would do is subtitled what he said and then everybody else would respond in English. Mm-hmm. And I enjoyed that. I enjoyed the mix. I thought it was a cool way to kind of show that people must have implants, which are basically universal translators. Yes. That's cool, man. Good job. Beat Takeshi, if you're not familiar with his movies, I would highly recommend checking some of them out. Oh, Sonatine. Def- yeah, and definitely. Like, Satoichi. Zato- yeah, he did some really great art house Yakuza films, and he was the characters he would play were kind of like a Clint Eastwood-esque kind of Dirty sure. Harry kind of character. Yeah. Quiet, but brutal. But deadly. You know? <laughs> and so they did something with the Aramaki characters, which they have never done in the anime, which is they armed him. He pulls out the revolver. Yeah, and, it's like a forty-five caliber Dirty Harry. Yeah, <laughs> like, exactly. Ready to... And that felt a little bit like a nod to Beat Takeshi as the actor rather than Aramaki, the character. Yeah, I agree. I think they were uh, that was fan service for him. But I liked it. I, I, exactly. I, I, I was not at all disappointed. I was, okay, cool. Even Aramaki is ready to throw stand down. his ground. Yeah. You know? They brought some of the other characters. The sniper is... Saito. Saito. So Saito is actually in the movie as well. Briefly. Briefly. But there wasn't a great story from the Ghost in the Shell anime that talked about back when the Major and Saito were on opposite sides Oh, in the TV series. In the TV series. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And it was so... If anybody wants to see the TV series, it's Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex, which I recommend. It's pretty amazing. We're definitely going to do a show about it. I have not seen Arise yet, but I know it's available on Netflix or... If you are me, you go to Kiss Anime, which is... No comment. <laughs> no, no comment. You can also buy it on Amazon if you want, or it's also on Hulu. Oh, is it on Hulu? It's on Hulu. Yeah. So they brought in a bunch of the characters. I was really, really, really hoping that they would have had the Tachikomas. They would actually drive around in these things, and they had AIs in them, and so they would talk and... Yeah, um, they were like kids. Yeah, they that, had like children's voices. But they had machine guns. <laughs> Yeah, I mean, I guess that's what that would be for a sequel. I was going to say, I think what they were aiming for, even though the Tachikomas are one of the fans' biggest things, I think they were aiming that for the sequel because in the greater continuity of Ghost in the Shell, they show up in the in the TV series, which technically comes after right. because they're considered an advance after Section Nine gets a lot of funding. Okay, <laughs> um, yeah, that makes sense. But they had the Spider Tank, which I mean, we're going a little ahead. The Spider Tank, which features uh, predominantly in the end of the anime film. Mm-hmm. They kind of shoehorned that in there. Yes. It's not as cool of a confrontation. It doesn't make a lot of sense. Before we get there, I do want to talk a little bit about the doctor character in the live action film. It's played by Juliette Binoche, who is beautiful and gorgeous. She's a French actress. She has won multiple awards and Oscars and stuff. She's one of my all-time favorite actresses ever. She's great. She was uh, fantastic in the part, I thought. You know, she did... I thought she was great with what she was given. I don't want to say that she was phoning it in for a paycheck, but it's kind of clear that I feel that the producers were not sure about if this film was going to cut it or not, so they were trying to get as many stars in as they could, and they got her in for a solid 
B part. Right. And I dig it. But I also think that she's not exactly a sci-fi fan and probably didn't really get it. A, I don't think that character also, like was I said, in the oh, manga at all. Or the no, that character was exclusively in the TV series and the Arise. Oh. Uh, and that's where she comes from. And they were taking little elements from that. But I think what they did was they took it and kind of made it their own because obviously they come up with this completely new storyline, right? In the live action film and the implications of this, I'm happy to discuss, they take the brain of the Japanese woman ostensibly against her will right. and put her into the body of Scarlett Johansson and of course this <laughs> this is this there's this whole question of you know is that even necessary i get you know, that you're not going to make the movie unless you get star power i understand that right. but let's say scarlett johansson was the doctor give her the b part and build a new asian star right from you know the ground up that was the one thing I, re- I recently read an article and it's unfortunate that the article came months after post-production of ghost mm-hmm. of shell and that mm-hmm. was how these movies such as moonlight or all these movies that come out that had won awards from the academy and mm-hmm. from sag that starred little known actors from different ethnicities. Sure. And that it doesn't, re- you don't need A-list star power to drive a film nowadays. You just need good acting, good writing. I wish that Hollywood had a little bit more faith in writers and directors and actors, not just celebrities. I agree. I agree completely. Uh, we talked a little bit about this on the debate, of course. I think Hollywood needs to stop being afraid of taking chances. And especially when you're releasing a film in the middle of April, Right. This is not going to be the big one. This is something that you're releasing when you're hedging your bets. You're making it safe. This could have easily taken losses. The fact oh, I that think it's going to take a loss. At least in the United States, you could always right. count on one thing that I noticed right in the very beginning of the movie was just how many Chinese companies had a go at this movie. There were two oh, yeah. major cards that were obviously in Chinese mm-hmm. you know, to say like, hey, and this all has a lot to do with the fact that in China, they have a limit on how many foreign movies can That's come right. into the country. The China Film Group, which is kind of the government organization of China, has a lottery system where they only allow a certain number of foreign films. I believe the current number is 40 into the country per year. This is a huge market. I think it's like, what, 6 billion people or something? Right. And so it's a very, very, very sought after market. And what they have started doing, a lot of the American companies are really trying to get in there. And there's a huge underground lobbying thing going on because Mm -hmm. they're like, please pick our film, which is exactly why Transformers shot some stuff in China so that they would get picked. What I found out, the new backdoor that has developed is that if the American production company tag teams with a Chinese production company, it counts as a domestic film and is guaranteed (laughs) release. So you get a lot of big name Chinese actors playing bit parts. Right. You have big Chinese studios being a part. So like, yeah, this is exactly what happened with Matt Damon and the Great Wall, which I haven't seen, by Mm. the way. You know, (laughs) a lot of people have complained about that. And I never felt that the Great Wall was trying to be a historically accurate movie. I don't think you could make that that argument. So I I never was offended. Aren't they fighting a dragon or something? Yeah, they're fighting zombies and demons or whatever. And they're not fighding Mongols. But that's a whole other thing. Yeah, yeah. Well, you know. We can get around yeah, that. Back to Ghost in the Shell. Another part that kind of felt completely unnecessary that was created for, I believe, the movie was the inclusion of Mokoto's mother. Yes. I was going to talk about this as well. On one hand, I liked it because it was interesting to see their take on this 
kind of bizarre backstory. But on the other hand, it was completely unnecessary. You could have taken that time that you spent with this woman that was speaking to Mokoto and instead just kind of focused more on the major, trying to figure out if she's real or whatever. And I feel that would have bolstered things. I think this film lacked a lot of character development. There was no real character development. I understand that this scene was an attempt at it, but it wasn't very good and could have... It was not good. Right. It was clumsy in its writing. It was... They tried, right? It was was just painful. Well, one thing that I really didn't understand was the mother, clearly Japanese, right? Mm. She willingly lets this complete random stranger into her house for no reason at all, which I think you could have solved a lot of these issues with little tweaks to the script, which is why I blame the script for a lot of this stuff. But she willingly lets this complete random stranger into her house and is like, please have tea with me. And then she's really struggling to speak in English. Yeah. Why don't you just have her talk in Japanese? Japanese. Yep. And subtitle it like yeah, fucking beat. That's what you've been doing. And it worked. But instead, no, we no. can't do that. No. We, she, we have to watch her really struggle to get English out. Yeah. they they Which took me out of it, by the way. Totally took me out of it. And it would have been kind of interesting if they basically had ScarJo just practice a couple of Japanese lines sure. as a response to the, the mother character. Yeah, definitely. I mean, I think in this fictional city, which is beautiful, by the way, heavy influence from Blade Runner, but whatever. It it was Blade Runner with rainbows. I agree. (laughs) That's an excellent way to put it. I think Japanese was meant to be the the typical language of the city. That's kind of what everybody typically spoke. Much like LA, Spanish is very, very incorporated here. So it wouldn't be at all uncommon for everyone to kind of know a few catchphrases. Right. And so you could have worked that in. I agree with you. One thing that I found interesting, this film tried to stay faithful quote-unquote, to the original 1995 animated film a lot more than I thought it would. I thought it was going to follow the first season of the standalone complex, The Laughing Man. Oh. But that was totally wrong. And they they really tried to stick with the 1995 film, but they changed it a lot. They changed a lot. it a lot. And yeah. I'm not sure if that was a good or a bad thing. You know, I, the thing that was very interesting about the original 1995 movie is sure. that basically everything that has come out since then mm-hmm. is a prequel because right, right. Mokoto at the end of the original movie gives her consciousness up to the AI and becomes right. part be, of the network well they merge and they right. become a, a new life form right yeah, yeah, yeah that's right she shows up in a tiny little girl's body and disappears into the right and then Pato you know. goes and, and we, we talk about this in uh, episode 6 if anybody's interested but yeah they, they brought elements of that before we go there I want to talk a little bit about the villain Kuze in, uh. in this film what they did was they took elements of Project 2501, who is the AI that you're talking about, and they refer to him as the puppet master because he's able to hack cyber brains and mm-hmm. make people do whatever he wants, which is where we were talking about the, the garbage man. Right. And then they kind of combined him with elements of Ghost in the Shell Arise series where I was talking about with her terrorist boyfriend that Mm. she kind of has an affair with because it turns out that he's actively working against the government. Oh. 
Yeah, you check it out if you want. It's I good. Will, it's will. good. But anyway, so they kind of combine those two because, spoiler, the Japanese girl whose brain they took was actually a subversive who was working against the rise of technology and the government. Oh, and, yes, uh, that's right. Yes. And I think what they were trying to say was that Kuze was her boyfriend or one of her companions. They do kind of hint that they have they were, a history. Yeah, that they were kidnapped at the same time. However, he had clearly been a cyborg for a while. Right. And she was new. And you know, I really did not like that about It was the weird. Because it was weird and it was kind of stilted and it felt very forced. Well, you know, the thing about the original anime in that world, mm-hmm. they well, there the- were a ton of shells and cyborgs walking all right. over. Uh, they were just it not was everywhere. Be- as beefed up as Section 9 cyborgs. Right, sure. You know. Um, no, everybody, secretaries had... Hand implants yeah. and everyone had neck implants to dial into the, the internet. The net, yeah. yeah, and one of the things they kind of talked about in the movie was just, oh, uh, like, this technology is so crazy and oh, there were fuck-ups and you yeah, know, yeah. Oh, blah, blah, yeah. blah. And yeah. this, the Kuze character was one of the fuck-ups. Right. And, and Mokoto was special because she was the one. She was know, the one that they succeeded with. Succeed it. brain in body. Yeah, I mean, when you say that this technology, quote-unquote, is a fuck-up, what you mean is putting a brain inside of a complete cyborg, 99% robotic body. There were numerous characters who had partial implants, people who had eyes like Bateau or arms or whatever, but the major was the only one to be successfully grafted. Kuze had his brain put into a robotic shell, right. but... Um, he went rogue and... Yeah, he didn't mesh. He started remembering stuff. They play around with the memories being overwritten, but they try to do it in more of a Blade Runner style where it's like, oh, these memories are implanted mm. and they were imperfect. There were gl- quote unquote glitches. glitches. Right. You had to take this medicine that suppressed your memories and stuff. And the way these memories kind of show up is the right. way in like, if you remember Fight Club, the way Tyler Durden right. would show up and then, you know, kind of glitch into. Kind of glitch into the frame. Yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I understand what they were going for, but I'll just talk about about the script a little bit. There were little tweaks that I think you could have made to the script to kind of smooth things out. For instance, when she goes and visits the mother, she doesn't have to just show up and pick up a cat and the mom is like, oh, the cat likes you. Please come in. That, 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 makes, <laughs> no, right. that makes no sense That's at all. That's how it worked. It could yeah. have been just, oh, thank you for getting my cat. Why are you here? And, and Scarlett Johansson's like, oh, I'm looking for someone who used to live here. Right. And the mother's, oh, do you mean my daughter? Please come in. Right. Then it's like, okay, yeah. now, now we're good. That little bit of adjustment uh, yeah, could have made that feel so much smoother rather exactly. than complete stranger. Yeah, it was just so comes bizarre. Inside, like, you know, and that's, it's even worse in actual Japan right now. <laughs> that's the reason why we have shut-ins, you know? Oh, yeah, right. Boys will lock themselves into their bedrooms for years. Right, they get an apartment of their own, and then I believe they just never leave. Right, and I mean, people don't let strangers into their personal spaces, and Right. America, in Japan, in any modern city. And you, if you think it's going to change in the next hundreds of years as technology gets more, no way. Yeah, no because, way. I mean, if you can plug in and have a complete holographic experience from the safety of your own home, guess yeah, what? Right. You're never you're never <laughs> leaving. Exactly. <laughs> oh, man. But I also think that if you're going to make the conceit that they're going to put 
a Japanese woman's brain into a white woman's body. Why? Right? I think you could have smoothed it a little bit more and built the relationship between the doctor and Scarlett Johansson a little bit more. If the doctor modeled that one on her dead daughter or something. Right. Because Julia Panache is obviously white. Well, I guess not obviously if anyone hasn't seen her. She's white. She's a beautiful, beautiful white woman. Right. Yes. Um, and that could have helped, but it, it really... I don't know. I like that they tried to make a live action adaptation of the film. I thought they succeeded in some parts. For instance, on the boat, when her and Bateau are on the boat and they talk a little bit about it. I like that a lot. Unfortunately, they stripped most of any higher intellectual stuff, anything that made the film smart, they kind of took it out and dumbed it down. I think because the producers were just terrified that the audience wasn't going to understand it. Right. Which was unfortunate. It's really unfortunate. I think that's an unfortunate part of American entertainment is the fact that producers, directors think that they have to make it accessible to an elementary school audience in order to sell and and please have faith in your audience. Right. That's, um, that's my big thing, too. You know, one of the interesting arguments that I keep hearing is that, oh, the director of the anime likes ScarJo and, like, you know, all these choices. I heard that, too. I heard Kodansha. Kodansha is the company that published the manga. Right. They officially released a statement that said, we don't see the character of the major as having any nationality. She is a cyborg and we're very happy with the casting. And then I also saw that Mamoru Oshii, I guess, conceived that the character was only named Makoto because the author was Japanese. You know what I think the reason why they said that? It's because... Money. Well, money and it's also probably because Japanese people are used to seeing Japanese properties being completely whitewashed and reinterpreted for American audiences. Really? Like Godzilla. Let's just say that. Godzilla. And it goes and it goes <laughs> Matt, the exact, to the Matthew Broderick. Guy. The Matt, yeah. And even the 2014 Godzilla. Mm-hmm, you know. Mm-hmm. Meanwhile, it goes the exact opposite direction in Japan, like Attack on Titan, which was played by a completely Asian cast. Asian cast. And if you read the manga, you eventually find out it has nothing to do with Europe or Asia. It just happens. Yeah, but, it's just their own yeah, thing. It's a whole you know weird world. But, but, I, but I understand the reason you're bringing this up for those who haven't seen Attack on Titan. The character designs are predominantly European. Right. They have a European look to them. Or, right. So I think that those, the publisher, the director, I think they just kind of figured that, hey, this comes with the territory. You know, mm-hmm. one catering to an American audience. I understand. So it's it, the juice is worth the squeeze, essentially. Like right. It's like, can... look, it's going to happen. As long as it's not that absurd, then we'll just accept it. But my issues with Scarlett Johansson. What did you think of her, of how she played? What, what did you think? You know, I, as a fan of the Marvel comics, I first saw Scarlett Johansson in Ghost World. Um, sure, yeah, you know, back in the day. Back in the day. And I had a little bit of a little, you know, movie star crush on her. Sure. You know, back then. and Attractive woman. But I just do not think she is the right fit for... For the character? The character. Why, and, why is that, do you think? Well, let's just start with physique. Sure. So 
I suppose you'll point out that I believe Mokoto in the anime, I believe she's 5'11". She's but, tall uh, and she's very statuesque. Okay, but first of all, the haircut just doesn't work with yeah, ScarJo. If you, anyone who has seen the character design, one thing that the hair and makeup people clearly did on the live action film was they tried to make the actors look at least in essence similar to their anime counterparts which is you know I get it anime you have a lot of crazy stuff going on a lot of times Mm -hmm. but uh, Mokoto in the anime has kind of an iconic kind of a hair helmet yes it's uh, like a a bob and I almost kind of feel like maybe they should have left the hair a little bit longer like so it goes down to the shoulder that might complement ScarJo's features better sure and she did this weird thing where she was trying to I don't know, move robotically. When she would walk around, she kind of walked with a box thing. And I get it. That's an actor choice. Mm-hmm. But I'm not sure it worked. No, I will say it didn't work. And but this it, goes back to the whole thing of in the live action film, she's only been a cyborg for a year. Whereas in the in the anime and the manga, she's been that way for decades. She's grown up this See, way. I think that's a non-issue. Oh, you don't a year think? or uh, decades is, you know, what mm-hmm. the thing is, is that she's a trained killing machine. She should be able to move. She has complete control over that's her a, body. That's a good point. That's you an know, excellent point. Yeah, so, I, I agree with you there. Uh, I don't know. Even the way her dryness just was not... It lacked character, which is kind of funny when I say it like that. Right. But the thing is, is that she's kind of... she She's just matter of fact, you know, kind of... Sure. Uh, you know, whatever. And it felt... Uh, it felt robotic, yeah, which felt- is funny to say, <laughs> but, you know, the thing is, is no, that... I, I get what you mean completely, because mm-hmm. I think this goes back to what we were saying before, was that there was no real character development. One of the things that I think really drew me to the character of the 1995 film is that she's trying to figure this out, and she'll have long and involved conversations with those around her mm-hmm. about different aspects of the soul and humanity oh, and stuff. Oh my gosh, yeah, no, and, right. And yeah. they took all of that out, and just kind of left it understated or hammered into you. There's several times where the doctor and also Aramaki are, you're not just a weapon. You have a ghost in your shell. (laughs) Yeah, they they pulled that line. If you don't get it. Right. You know, if you don't, if the words ghost in the shell are too complicated, let's spell it out for you. I felt, I don't need this. It's funny because ghost in the shell is a 20 year old. 20 At least, years. Yeah. Someone was born, gone through their teenage years, and is now just about ready to start drinking. Those right. words <laughs> have been around that long. Well, not only and, that, but you're dealing with, in today's world, you have things like Westworld, you had Battlestar Galactica, which, yeah. which dealt with essentially the same, you had Robocop. All dealt- of those movies dealt with similar narratives and done it in much smarter ways. And I think that is just the thing. Like, Well, I think the, the show. ratings show that these people can understand this stuff. Everybody's on board. Yeah. I'm 40-some years old now, so... He looks 28, anyone who's curious. (laughs) You're too kind. I think that I've lived with that anime and that manga for a good chunk of my life now. When did you start reading it? When I first arrived in America. Oh, wow, man. Yeah, literally when... You know, that was around the time Akira came out. Sure. Maybe a little bit after, and I was really into manga and anime at that time Mm -hmm. and so of course Ghost in the Shell was revolutionary but I will be the first one to say when Appleseed first came out Masamune Shiro the Mm -hmm. creator of Ghost in the Shell one of the first 
mangas that came into America was Appleseed. And right. I started following him there because I loved his mecha design. I loved his girl designs. And he actually had whole books dedicated to girls with guns of his illustrations that mm -hmm. I thought were just a feast for the eyes. And yeah, it was really interesting stuff. The narratives that were explored in both Appleseed and Ghost in the Shell were so over my head when I first <laughs> you know, started reading it. And, sure. you know, I'll admit, well, this they were is before little... the internet was even around. Right. But it was great because his writing had already foresaw so much of the stuff that was going to potentially happen. Right. Now, 27 years later, mm -hmm. you know, these stories and these narratives are part of the fabric of our popular culture. Whether you are a fan of Ghost of the Shell or not, the idea of a consciousness that extends beyond our physical forms, our artificial intelligence, etc. They are not foreign ideas to our 21st century society. Right. And so it is completely unnecessary to dumb it down. And if you think, oh, we got to dumb it down for the foreign market, bullshit on that. <laughs> right. Because you know what? Those guys are into they, it deeper they, than we are. I was going to say, that's where it came from. Man. Yeah. <laughs> like, you know, so America, please stop looking down at your audience. Speaking of looking down, one thing I wanted to mention to you, I, I don't know if you knew about this, but in Koreatown and here in LA, they have a giant poster that's on the wall of one of these buildings that's oh. Scarlett Johansson and she's just kind of overlooking all of Koreatown. Oh, man. And it's Ghost in the Shell. I Fortunately, I have not seen it, but I now kind of want to see it, but I yeah. don't want to see it at the same time because... Well, it's just kind of a big F you to, to the, uh, the Asian American society, you know, yeah. Well, um, the numerous actors yes. that are residing there. That's the thing is that, you know, a lot of people will make the argument that, oh, you you know, you need A-list talent to fuel or drive to put the wind underneath the wings of a movie like this. Mm -hmm. And I completely disagree because the thing is, is that people who are going to see this movie are the people who are familiar with right. the, the, the fans yeah. who are the fans of the property. They're the ones that are going to go see this movie. I, and I understand that they wanted to make a film that would introduce this concept to others to expand and hopefully get a sequel. But I think you could have done it in a smarter way. I think people would have been a little more interested if it had a little more meat of stuff to say. So I know we haven't really talked about it, but the basic plotline of this film is a girl named Mokoto Kusanagi is injured and her brain is put into the shell of Scarlett Johansson, who goes by the name Mira Killian. Yeah, she has a Western, they give her a Western name. Yeah, I believe it's Mira Killian. And she is one of the lead operatives of Section 9 and, and she's deployed as a the lead prototype of this company, can't remember, I can't remember the name it's of Concha or something like that. And they're like, our company is going to rule the world with military science or whatever. Right. And then it's not about her trying to figure out if she's human or not. They touch on it, but it's really about her realizing that, oh, wait, I'm a Japanese girl that's been trapped in this body. I used to be human. And this company illegally, because I was a rebel speaking out against technology, this company came and kidnapped me and my friends and started doing experiments on us. Right. And so once she figures that out, well, I have to, I don't really know what. She clearly has a beef with the company, but it's not like she takes the fight to the company. She just kind of continues trying to find out more about her past. And then the company attacks her with the spider tank. And, and that's kind of it. And in the meantime, she 
runs into Kuze and kind of tracks him down, but it's never... Well, the, the company not only attacks her, they attack all of Section 9. Right, they know? burn Section 9. This I, is, that's, an, that's an allusion to what does happen at one point. In standalone complex. Right, but yeah. it's it's for much more interesting reasons. <laughs> yes. And uh, and then you're kind of wondering, like, oh, what's going to happen? But in this, it's it was all kind of shoehorned in. Yeah. They kind of made up this new character. Kato Saijo. They kind of create this head of the company guy named Cutter. Right. And he's kind of the secondary villain, like the real villain. Mm-hmm. He's the head of this company, and he's the one that's overseeing the kidnapping of the rebels and removing of their brains and stuff like that. Right, right. But was he really even necessary? <laughs> like, No, you know, the didn't thing- didn't make well, any sense. You know, it's funny because they, I guess it's a great narrative, you know, tool to give corporate evil a face. Sure. Unfortunately, corporations don't generally work like that. Right. And, um, <laughs> Well, this is the future, Luke. <laughs> this is this is where you're missing the point. <laughs> you know, at the end of the movie, basically, wait, what happens to Kuze? Kuze, does he... So, Kuze, okay, in an effort... Understandable. <laughs> I, I will enlighten you. Yes. So, Mira Killian, who at this point has realized that she's actually Mokoto Kusanaki. <laughs> right. She keeps having glitches of this burned out pagoda. Right. Kind of. And so she and Kuze mystically end up at the original place, which it turns out was their hideout uh, when they were living in the wildlands or whatever, outside the city. Right. And they're there and they're just trying to get their memories back and they start remembering each other. And I think they start remembering that they had a relationship. Right. But then out of nowhere, of course, a spider tank shows up, (laughs) uh, which is astonishing to me that no one heard it coming. It's this giant 50-foot, eight-legged tank. They did that because at the end of the 1995 anime movie, the major goes to meet Project 2501, who is the AI who has downloaded himself into a body. And the government, a different section of the government, is no. And they're basically doing a super black ops secret handoff. Mm -hmm. And one of their security measures is a spider tank. Right. So instead of her going to it, it comes to her. Right. And they have this giant fight. And this goes back to what you were saying, where similar to the animated film, Project 2501, who in this live action version is Kuze, he gets torn up and beat up or whatever, and they end up lying next to each other. And he's like, join me, join my consciousness, and together we'll evolve and become a new life form. And in the anime, she accepts. And they do. They become a new life form and they kind of merge, right? Right. In the live action movie... She says, I got things to do. Right. She says, I can't yet. I'm not ready yet. I'm going to stick around here for a little while longer. I'm not sure why they did that. I get it, but it doesn't... they did it, A, for the sequel. B, she just finally realizes But they have a sequel anyway. Even if she did do it, they could still have a sequel. No problem. I mean, Ghost in the Shell Standalone Complex is essentially kind of a sequel. Right. But it's more of a prequel. It's a little of both. It's it's a sequel that has flashbacks. Yeah, because, you know, they actually, in Standalone Complex, they touch up into little things about, you know, how certain members of the team joined. Right. But I wouldn't have mind if Ghost in the Shell, the movie, was 
I guess you could say it is its own kind of story. It's its own Borrowing thing. from his characters. But the thing is, is that the fact that they drew and incorporated aspects of the original series in it and did it in such a poor way. Yeah, the I, thing that always comes to my mind is that they kind of have this needless shootout in a club. They're like, we need some action. So they, in the live action film, they go to this, I don't know what, Yakuza club and just have this meaningless gunfight. Right. And I'm always, wow. Right. Like, you could have just dance, ta- yeah, dance. Dance for me. <laughs> you know, and I'm like, you could have taken that time. And again, like we said earlier, either expanded on the garbage man which mm. I think was a sorely missed opportunity that yes. they, don't get me wrong, again, it's beautiful, and they clearly matched a lot of frame-by-frames from the anime, especially the fight in the water, which right. is, you know, great. But you could have taken that time and kind of developed everyone a little bit more. Yeah, you know, again, I felt like the tragedy of the Garbage Men was definitely better felt in the anime than it was in the movie. Right. You know, I mean, this poor guy has all these memories plugged into him. Here's the big difference that they did. And I'm sorry to cut you off. No, not at all. In the animated film, they don't fight the garbage man. They fight his accomplice, who right. he's working for. Right. And so he's straight up a victim the whole way through. And when they catch the garbage man, they're like, let's talk. By the way, everything you remember is false. false. Right. In this, they combined the garbage man and the terrorist that he was working for. Yeah. So he gets out of the garbage truck, goes over to the doctor. Why he doesn't just shoot her, I have no idea. But instead, he's like, tell me everything you know, which is total BS. He would just blow her just away. Just blow her away, yeah. But instead, he's violently attacking everyone, and then they beat him up and take him in. And that makes him less of a sympathetic character. So all of a sudden you're like, oh, he's like, I didn't do anything. And you're like, I just saw you. You clearly did right. a bunch of stuff. And he's like, well, I have a wife and daughter. And that's your wife and daughter? And he's like, yeah, I think. I don't know. Yeah. And in the animated film, he's yeah, that's her. Oh, she's an angel and stuff. And you see it's the dog. Yeah. And, you know, in this one, I don't know why they did it, but it's his photo ID. Yeah, they showed it. He's just looking at a picture of himself. And yeah. it's like, yeah, that's my beautiful baby girl. Right. And yeah. it's like, come on, man. She plays violin. Did you like that they put the basset hound in? No, I missed that. Oh, they have Bato go to feed the dogs. Oh, yeah, 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 yeah. one of I... his strays is the Basset Hound, which, of course, is uh, Mamoru Oshii's calling card. Oh, you see, I, I didn't catch that. Oh, um, uh, it's, it's there. It's, I think that was a little... Cause like I, I little know, Easter egg. I don't even really quite remember that from the manga, to be honest. So oh, okay. Um, you know, no, no, I don't think it's in the manga. It's in I mean, all anime. of the animated stuff. Yeah, yeah, yeah. I didn't. I never took notice of it in the anime because right. you know, I, yeah, whatever. You, you know, I was watching it before the. Other I was watching it before the internet. You know? <laughs> yeah, right. right. So, <laughs> yeah, you know. and that's the other thing that I think was lacking. By the way, now that you mention it, the 1995 film is this huge commentary on technology, how it's influencing our society, and the internet, which at the time in 1995 was just taking off, and everybody was kind of like, where is this going to take us? Right. All of that is gone from this film. No, it is. You don't have any commentary, which I think that was the meat of it, you know? We're allowing man and machine to interface. We're allowing machines to become part of us now. And this goes back to your earlier point of Togusa. Togusa is a member of Section 9, but he's 99% human with a little bit of cyber augmentation. He's the only member on that team that is not heavily cyber augmented. And he uses like an old style weapon as well. Yeah, he uses a revolver, yeah. Yeah. Mm Mm-hmm. And they have really interesting conversations about the pluses and minuses of both. Right. 
again, missed opportunity there. I don't know why they didn't Unless incorporate sa- some of that. They're saving it for a sequel. And I honestly do not remember Togusa being in there at all. Because <laughs> actually, you know, I think isn't one of the big stories from Standalone Complex oh, is huge. when Togusa joins Section 9. That's right. right. It's oh. one of the prequel things where he joins in kind of his early days there. And they, I believe The Laughing Man was one of his first cases, which is really, you know, good stuff. I can imagine them going into The Laughing Man for a sequel because... Oh, sure. You know, it's brilliant. Yeah. You know what I loved about Standalone Complex was the way they designed certain rooms that people gathered at to chat. It felt like a game show, like, you know, where they were talking about, like, who, who, who who's the laughing man? Right, and, like, all these right. people, like, hanging out in a circular room. And, and there, you know. there were elements of that in the film. They go to track down Kuze in the nightclub or whatever, and there's a bunch of men hooked up. It doesn't really say what they're hooked up to, but the visual is taken from, from Actually, the anime. Actually, I think if I remember correctly, that was probably one that the those were some of the spaces that really suggested in my eyes the fetishization of cyborgs because they're basically sure. guys gathered around tables watching cyborgs dance sexy and shit like that. Yeah, yeah. well they were kickboxing and stuff. Kickboxing I thought uh, I saw. Like, maybe it could have been both. Yeah. I don't know. But yeah, I wasn't really sure what was going on because they were clearly drilling into people's necks. It wasn't clear what they were doing. They were just kind of there. I don't know. I mean, again, like I said, visually interesting. Although, also, for the live-action film, it was kind of a hit-or-miss thing. There were scenes that were just brilliantly beautiful, and clearly they dumped a ton of money into it. And then they would go into these live-action sets where... It kind of looked B-movie. It was just plastic rain curtains right. draped well, on the wall. What happened? Like, were, why? The, the consistency was definitely all over the place. Yeah, I Just wonder. like the acting, um, just like some of the scenes. You know, I I am kind of curious to see how fans will re-edit the movie if it happens. It's so interesting because the whole time I was watching and I was thinking, if you just edited this a little, it'd be great. And I'm very curious about the fan edits because I'm sure there's going to be some. But really when I was thinking about it, I was like, no, really what I'm thinking is just editing the script a little bit. But obviously you can't edit the script so you edit the finished product. So Luke, did you have a favorite character in this live action film? Aramaki was probably my favorite one. I liked Bato. I thought Bato was okay. The eyes were a little funky. I mean, that's they're supposed to, but I kind of like the idea of the original character having these kind of white-ish plugs in his almost kind of like Yeah, they were like plug. coins or something. Yeah, rather than these black holes. Right. You know, that the... Tactical. You know, <laughs> even, you know, what was sad was that the spider tank felt weak compared oh, to you the think anime. So? Yeah, I mean, like, it just didn't feel like a beefy spider tank. It I, was like, I'm kind of a box with like legs, <laughs> you know? And if we took the specs for the spider tank, you know, from the manga and just put it into a computer and rendered it out, that's how it would look. But I think they could have, you know, taken some liberties, made it a little bit beefier, a little made bit more. it a little more, you know. I um, think part of that was also the setting. Instead of fighting in an enclosed space, which was actually, a, a, used to be a museum, I believe, in the animated film, right? Um, which was cool because you get this famous shot of bullets riddling the Tree of Life display, which they tried to incorporate into the pagoda, but it's a real tree and they don't really mention that it's the Tree of Life. Mm, right. Instead of having it in this enclosed museum space, they're instead fighting in, I don't know, this weird open courtyard of an abandoned apartment building. And it, right. it's cool, but it's not what it could be. So I, I understand that. I see all those things were things that just I didn't even really 
really find myself being wanting to think about. Mm. You know, it was just like, mm. okay, they're back at the scene of the crime mm-hmm. where they were apprehended. And sure, Kuso was made first. I guess they just froze Mokoto's body. Yeah, that, you know? that's my thing. You're inconsistent with your thing. I mean, did you even like Kuse? My problem with him was he wasn't evil enough for me to hate him. And he wasn't cool enough for me to root for him. I was just kind of like, eh, this guy... Yeah, I think I feel the same. You know, he didn't bother me so much because it was a character created basically specifically. Yeah, it was this weird amalgamation of villains from the anime kind of given form. And I I didn't understand why he would have henchmen for some things and then go himself on other things. Right. Why are you doing that? (laughs) You know, yeah, it's like on one hand, he is this super being, Mm -hmm. you know, and I guess what he's doing is he's taking control of people to serve him. Sort of. But then, you know, he's just kind of basically a homeless bum. Yeah. (laughs) That's true. Yeah, he's living in the, like, squalor, and he looks terrible. That's a good point. You know, and it's just like, what are you, man? Again, lack of character development. So I I think that's it. Yeah, weak character development, lots of little glitchy elements in the script Scarjo not a character Scarjo should have played I, who would you cast you know I, a, I'm not really good at this can't do it at this thing um, I don't know I mean honestly I would love to have had an Asian actor playing Mokoto but sure but I can't think of who. I unfortunately I'm not I just don't know enough about the And I think that's the sign of Hollywood, right? I'm not aware enough of other yeah. Asian talent. I'm sure they could have found people in oh, I'm England. Sure. I'm sure they could have well, found I'm sure they could have found people here. Yeah. Oh, straight absolutely. up. You know, my sister is an actor. Is and, she? Yeah, I had no idea. So more than anything, I wasn't necessarily angry about it for me. I was more disappointed for basically my sister, you know. Sure. You know, I'm sure there's plenty of Asian actors that were in Nickelodeon shows that have since ended or played Power Ranger characters, you know, that are still roaming around You know, here. it's interesting that you say that. One thing I do want to touch on, I, I thought it was extremely interesting that it's revealed Scarlett Johansson is being cast as Major uh, Mokoto Kusanagi. Everyone is enraged. You know, rage everywhere, flames everywhere. Right. Uh, it's revealed that Elizabeth Banks is cast as Rita Repulsor in the Power, in the power Rangers. Mm. Nobody bats an eye. Everybody's, everybody's a huge fan. Nobody says anything. Well, you Thoughts know, on that? Um, <laughs> Rita was not an Asian character. It was an alien character. But the thing is, is that I never really thought Asian for some reason. Interesting. I, I just thought she was right. an evil being. And also, it's the antagonist, not the protagonist. And I think people care That's more for protagonists than antagonists. That's and, a good point. Sorry. So overall, what did you think about Ghost in the Shell? <laughs> Ghost in the Shell was better than I thought it would be. Despite all of our criticisms, it was better than I thought it would be. Um, I guess that's true for me as well. I give it a solid B. I give it a B minus. Um, would you recommend it? <laughs> <laughs> I guess that's an, a yes and a no. Uh, it depends on the person. If it's a person who dabbles in 
manga culture and is a little bit familiar with Ghost in the Shell, mm-hmm. um, I would say, yeah, sure, go check out a matinee. Sure. I'm not going to tell them that's a great movie because it will just elevate it to the point where it would be nothing but disappointing. You know, mm. I think I went in with a whole bunch of doubt and questions, which is the reason why I was able to say, oh, it's better than I thought it was. But, right. you know, did I love it? No. Did I hate it? Not partic- No, I didn't hate it either. Because the, the flaws in the writing, it wouldn't matter whether it was ScarJo or someone else playing it. Mm. it would still have issues. Yeah, that's a good point. The lack of the good script kind of colored everything. Mm. Uh, that, that's an excellent point I hadn't thought about. It. So did you hate anything about it? Were you like- the mother. Um, oh, wow. I hated the mother. It was great seeing, I mean, if I want to look at it in terms of, oh, it was great seeing an Asian actor on the screen, I guess that's good, but it's not, I thought it was fucking completely unnecessary. Yeah, um, I agree. I, I felt they were kind of, again, shoehorning in some sort of stuff for the major to kind of figure out stuff, but it's completely unnecessary. Unnecessary. Yep. And you know, the thing is, is that, you know, up to standalone complex, they never really got into the majors, you know, backstory. Yeah. And it was, it's not necessary. Yeah. It wasn't necessary. You just knew that the major kicked ass (laughs) and she knew her way around a battlefield and everyone respected her. That was something that I do think now that you mentioned that, I do think that that's something that came across in the anime hardcore and yet in the live action film did not that clearly they were all teams and they all liked each other but it wasn't the same level of I'm gonna go to bat for you hardcore like, <laughs> we're a team we're like, a fucking team like, and you know this, the major I know the major would give her life for me right. so I'm willing to give my right. life like for I didn't, yeah, none of that's there none of that camaraderie of a battle same. hardened right. fucking crew right, is right. there right. so it's, um, it's it's disappointing it's a little disappointing and you know, but none of these negatives are bad enough for me to say that's a waste of time like yeah. it's a beautiful movie. You know, it's very you, beautiful. You, you, some of it is a little too CG'd in my eyes, but it also works considering how CG the world they exist in is. Yeah, there's a lot of holograms everywhere. You know, this idea of holograms the size of buildings. Sure. Moving around and pouring coffee or whatever. <laughs> it's just not going to ever happen. You don't think so? I do not think so. I think that was their tip of the hat to Blade Runner. You know, the famous Coke geisha. Right, yeah. But the geisha in Blade Runner was exploring the different forms of sin. From Whoa, that's heavy. Drinking to drugs to smoking and to sex. Those wow. are the four things. The four times it comes up, it, the geisha is doing one of those four things. In Blade Runner? In Blade Runner. All I remember is her eating sushi and then drinking Coke. No, she, um, there's one where she's smoking, uh-huh. and I think there's another one where she's drinking. Sure. And another one, I think she's taking a pill. Oh. You know, and, uh. Wow, man. You know, and. Blade Runner is so good. Uh, yeah, Blade Runner is fucking great. I'm actually kind of curious to see the sequel to that. You should very, bring me on very, for that one. I, well, we don't talk about it here, but I'm. Oh, it's I'm, true. I'm worried it's going to be. Terrible. I'm a little worried about it. I'm too. worried. Blade Runner is by far one of my all-time favorite films ever. Yeah, so, so you know, I'm very right. interested. I. But what did you think? Yeah, I'm curious. Now, right? I'm curious. Let me let me hit you up. I thought it was okay. I'm kind of with you. Would I tell people to go see it? No, I'd say catch it on 
HBO or catch it on video. If you do want to see it in the theater, I think the main reason to go see it is the visuals. Mm-hmm. I mean, they're they're stunning. The 3D was good. Oh, did you see it in 3D? I didn't. I saw it in 2D. So I imagine the 3D would be pretty amazing. Yeah, 3D. It's, it's a masterwork of both practical and CG effects. So I'd go see it for that. I didn't enjoy it. I was kind of, the whole time, the story was not very interesting. And for me, the characters were not very interesting, which was a huge letdown. Yeah. Especially given my love for the source material where I was enthralled. Yeah. So They could I, have given a little bit more to the rest of the team. Yeah. Just a it, little bit more. If they took out some of the needless stuff, take right. out the mom, take out the fight in the club, they could have expanded a little bit. Like you said, you don't even remember Togusa was there, but he had two main scenes. Yeah. Uh, Togusa sniped one of the, the, the company men. I know that. He also, they had a briefing where, how did this geisha get hacked? And he was one of the dudes who explained it. Oh, not Togus. I mean, the other guy, the sniper sniped. Oh, Saito. Yeah. Saito sniped. Yeah, he, um, he snipes the helicopter at the end. Yeah. Like, big yeah. deal. Mm-hmm. Whatever. Yeah. And but. they also had the hacker guy, the hacker deep dive guy. But all he did was kind of show up and be like, yeah, I've got this cybernetic liver. <laughs> you know what but. actually... Yeah, I think I was overall disappointed with it. I don't agree with Scarlett Johansson's casting. I understand why they did it. I just don't think it was necessary. I think they could have gotten away with giving her a different role and building a platform for a new star. I understand that Hollywood is afraid to take chances, but I mean, this is something you could do a tax write-off on if you wanted to. I completely agree. I wish that they used this opportunity. It was a lost opportunity to bring in a Asian actor with maybe even Chinese roots and that would have secured China you know, being point. all over that could that, be. That joint, yeah, you could know? be. But definitely a lost opportunity and if they do a sequel and they decide not to use Scarlett Johansson they could easily just get another actor and go oh I, this is my upgraded body. I'll be very interested to see if that happens. I don't think it's going to happen but I'll be very interested to see what happens. I don't think it's going to do well domestically but you may be right it may do very well overseas. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. I don't know. What'd you think of the music? Because it was obviously different from the original. The original music was Kenji Kawai, famously, and that score was kind of the Japanese equivalent of Oscar winning. What did you think of the one in this film? Obviously, it didn't leave that big of an impression on me because I can't remember <laughs> much of it. Fair know? enough. Like, it was decent. Yeah, you know, I mean, like, that's the thing about soundtracks and scores is that if it is there but doesn't usurp the actual acting like Danny Elfman is like that because sure. his scores easily outdo the actual actors and the <laughs> cinematography and everything else yeah yeah, yeah. that's um, the, the score for Ghost in the Shell was forgettable um, mm, that's heavy that's a statement oh uh, yeah it was to me because I just I don't remember it yeah no that's fair the score was actually Clint Manziel mm. and he was assisted by Lauren Balf. So, and Clint has done other stuff, but I, I was just curious. Well, anyway, thanks, Luke. Thanks for coming on, man. No, it was, I appreciate it was it. a joy. You know, I, I watch a, a lot of anime. I know. So. I want to have you back, man. I, I, we, we got lots of stuff to talk about. Absolutely. What are you up to right now? Where can people find you? What's going on? Oh, uh, last night I just had a show opened up at Giant Robot. 
This is in LA. Uh, gallery in Los Angeles on Sawtell in the West Side. And if you are visiting Los Angeles, I highly recommend going to Sawtell just because that is a great place to eat. It's pretty a awesome. A lot of locals hit that place. So if you want ramen, there are about four ramen places on two blocks, and they all usually have big lines for them because they're that good. Yeah. Actually, uh, Tsujita, arguably one of the more popular ramen places, has two restaurants right across the street from each other. So <laughs> take that into consideration. Uh, but uh, it's a group show that I curated called Friends with the Animals. It's a show dedicated to the art of anthropomorphization or, you know, putting human characteristics on animals or objects. So that's a show that I just did. And I have some toy releases coming up with Monkey King and be in San Diego. And then my next big solo show won't be until December. Hopefully I'll have been back on this show to promote it. Yeah, for sure. Well, we'll get you back, promote that one too. But yeah, definitely check out your show. It's Giant Robot. Uh, Giant Robot, GR2 Gallery. It's on Sawtell. I think it's 2062 Sawtell. And they'll be up for the next three weeks for the next so when's it end and um, may 7th right check it out it's awesome i've seen some pictures on your instagram it's yeah, great i'm I gonna go i'm gonna go check stuff. it out i'd be looks... honored if you did oh for yeah. sure yeah so. no it looks dope and your stuff's amazing where can we follow you you, you can find me at luke chu l-u-k-e-c-h-u-e-h and yeah i'm usually posting on instagram twitter and facebook so please uh, yeah. look up and definitely check him out he's have... well worth it. If you see me or recognize me and you ever want to talk anime, just uh, <laughs> don't, he- you know, if the, and if the now. time is right, don't hesitate to bring it up because I spend a lot of time watching anime. Yeah, man. Well, your yeah. thoughts and comments have been very much appreciated. I've been very honored to have you on the show. Thanks uh, again. The the pleasure was mine. I'm Thank glad. Thank you so much. Sure. And anybody who wants to check us out, you can come on down to Meltdown Comics, 7522 Sunset Boulevard. We have more comics and toys and comedy shows and just about anything you can check stick out here so come on down and check us out otherwise thanks so much for listening and we'll catch you next time with more stuff in your attic on anime attic bye goodbye